This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Driving Outcomes, your source for inspired solutions to address the most pressing leadership concerns of today. On each episode, we examine the latest developments in applied research and education and how it impacts your business and social outcomes. Our host, Tracy Shirachi, brings you conversations with groundbreaking researchers, educators, and business leaders who are changing the face of leadership every day. And now, here's Tracy. Hi, everyone. I have the pleasure today of introducing Dr. Bimal Nepal. Um, he is a professor in the Engineering, Technology, and Industrial Distribution Department at Texas A&M University. And as a professor or associate director of the industrial distribution segment, Dr. Nepal, can you explain to the audience like what exactly is industrial distribution? And I hope I said that correctly because it's almost like a tongue tie <laughs> exercise right there. Right, no, you, you said it correctly. So industrial distribution is a discipline that deals with uh, wholesale you know, distribution or, or logistics and sales engineering. What that means is you have a manufacturer, they produce uh, products and then you have customers, uh, they use the product. So industrial distributors are kind of, they play the middle role to move products from the manufacturer to the customers. Right, so, but they don't deal with the end customer. They don't like, they are not retailer. They are not Walmart or Target or any other, uh, you know, retailer, even not Sam's Club or Costco, but they, they typically do the business B2B, from business to business, right? Business manufacturer to the business customer. Let's say you have a builders, some general contractor. So uh, what they do, industrial distribution does is really, they, they manage the supply chain, they manage the inventory for their customers. So as a customers, you may be, uh, you know, let's say you are in building materials uh, distribution, uh, you know, a space, right? You, you are a large contractor, you have a, uh, all this building, you know, a building construction company throughout the country and you need, you know, roofing materials, you need others. So instead of buying from 1000 different manufacturers that you use for your building, you just contact one distributor who will have all those parts and you can order that all in one PO. So that's called providing supply chain services. So industrial distribution does that. You may be surprised to know that um, you, uh, you know, uh, it's about $7 trillion of US wow. economy. It's uh, that big. Uh, you know, wow. uh, there is a national uh, association called National Association for Wholesale Distributors. Uh, I don't know exactly number of companies, but it is very, very large number. Um, but again, you know, it's a, close to $7 trillion out of $16 trillion economy. So you can think wow. about it. It's really huge. So when you're talking about industrial distribution as an industry, it's primarily construction and buildings and manufacturing or what exactly like when you're building roads or you're trying to build factories or what are we, are manufacturing plants for automobiles? Like what exactly is part of the industry that you're referring to that's B2B? Sure. So uh, there are uh, different vertical channels. I just uh, gave one example as a building materials, right? There is a 
pipe valve and fitting, there is a plumbing, there's electrical, there's elect electronics, uh, and, uh, and there's, uh, you know, pharmaceutical, there's a healthcare, there's veterinary. So every industry sector, you know, you can think of every supply chain that you can think of, uh, you know, uh, they would have a, somebody is producing products, right? Somebody is using them, but, you know, we don't, I mean, we don't see as a consumer, we don't see who supplies to, you know, let's say CVS pharmacy or, or the restaurant we go to eat. We don't know who all supplies, the, you know, all the spices, all the vegetables, chicken and all that thing. But it's not they, they would go to individual market, you know, manufacturer and buy that. They would typically buy from some, you know, food distributor like Cisco or some other. Uh, they would supply, you know, um, you know, tons and tons of all those uh, materials to them. So it's a wholesale distribution. Again, as I said, they deal with the business to business. But they, they is, if you go to the retailer, they deal with the business to like B to C, right? Business to consumer. Mm -hmm. You know, this uh, industrial distribution is uh, business to business. Uh, that's uh, kind of commerce it is. Yeah. Well, I think what I appreciate is you're describing it's all industries and it's primarily the supply chain. And kind of example, and the example that I kind of think of as just an electronic example is like when we buy an Apple iPhone, there yep. are components that are part of that iPhone that are, are embedded chips. There's all these parts, right? So Apple needs to contract with somebody to obtain those parts in order to deliver the end product, which we as a consumer get, right? So the, right. the piece that you're isolating is the supply chain, all the parts that it took to produce that phone for us to then purchase it, all those uh, pieces or all those businesses that are involved in that process of that supply chain to deliver that phone is industrial distribution. Right. You know, uh, you know, uh, there could be some exception to that. For example, let's say Apple has all these uh, manufacturers like Foxconn and other, right? So there are some, you know, key component supply. They may supply those components directly, but then there are, other, uh, you know, component like uh, fasteners and all those, uh, you know, uh, what we also call MRO, maintenance, repair, and operations type of, you know, uh, you know, those items, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of those that are used in different industrial products. And it's impossible to buy from, you know, every, uh. from everybody. So, you know, the distributors sort of accumulate that for them and they can supply. So it's not like, you know, uh, you know, let's say you are a you know, Tesla, you know, you would buy all these uh, automotive uh, components from distributor, you may not, right? But there are, uh, you know, if you go to the machine shop and you know, all the welding rods and all those things they have to buy, they're not gonna buy directly from a manufacturer of welding rods, right? So they would buy from some distributors. So, um, uh, so understood. it is. So it's like an airplane. In order for us to get a commercial airplane, all the pieces that go into building that airplane, also someone's making those fasteners that yeah. attach that panel to the airplane, right? Somebody makes those fasteners, but that fastener is not just found on the airplane. It may be found on an oil rig. It may also Absolutely. be found on yeah. your bike, like that same yeah. fastener. So I think, okay, but that's helpful to understand because, now I'm looking at the world differently just based on what you described, because when you say it's a one 
trillion dollar, right? I think you used a T. Seven trillion dollars. You know, seven, seven trillion dollars. So seven trillion yeah. dollar industry. Now you have to look at the world even more differently that the fastener, like I, the example I use of the fastener that's on an airplane is also on your shopping cart, which is also on your, you know, oil rig, or it could be on your door. I mean, it's, it, yeah. it's endless. Yeah. Right. And so and what then, are the uh, students learning when they're in the engineering school and the mm -hmm. department, what are they learning? Like how to make that fastener or they're learning about the physical supply chain? Like what exactly are they studying? Right. So they, they learn a couple of things, right? You know, uh, the, the, the uniqueness of this program is, uh, you know, uh, it is a mix of engineering and business, right? So we have some soft uh, skills that they learn like a sales engineering you know, customer relationship management. And that, that those are soft skills they learn. I think that's, that's, those are very popular skills set that they learn uh, because uh, distributors, uh, uh, the industrial distributor, they are, so we call it like provide solution. It's uh, providing solution to customers, not selling the product. Let's say you are a consumer, you, you are a customer, you have some need. Distributor, as a, you know, our graduate will talk to you and understand your problem and maybe provide some technical solutions. It's, it's almost like, a, uh, you know, uh, EMIS graduate uh, and they would, uh, uh, they would uh, let's say people, somebody working for Accenture and some other company, right? They would go to client, they understand their need and they say, okay, maybe you need this kind of software to install, something like mm -hmm. that, right? So, so you know, we... we teach technical sales. So the difference between business school salespeople and our salespeople, because they also do engineering courses, right? They understand what is hydraulics. They understand what is machine. They understand what is, you know, how the electronics system work. So they, they have that engineering know-how and they also have the business know-how. So therefore they are uniquely uh, you know, uh, position to to serve the industry better. And speaking of that, uh, industrial distribution program or the graduates is one of the highly sought after uh, degree program at Texas A&M. And we always had near 100% placement, even during height of the recession. Wow. Yeah. I can so imagine we, because there's always yeah. industry and yeah. need for this, regardless of whether or not like, restaurants are open or closed or regardless yeah. of whether or not people are traveling or not, there's a, there's a sustainable aspect of the economy that has to operate no matter what right. kind of like defense. Yeah. Um, I understand, you know, as a industry is always in high demand. Right. And, and also to answer your other questions, like with, besides sales, we teach them logistics, how to manage inventory, we teach them quality and uh, we teach them data analytics. Uh, you know, we teach them information system, so, you know, uh, and obviously, you know, there are advanced level sales management class as well. We teach them those as well. And they do senior design project uh, capstone, just like uh, any other engineering program. So what is your um, particular focus and research and um, what do you work on? So uh, I teach class in uh, quality, uh, you know, that focuses on, you know, lean six sigma uh, type of stuff. Uh, about my research, I, you know, I work on a couple of different areas. Uh, one is uh, obviously distribution operation supply chain. I also, uh, you know, do some research in the manufacturing systems optimization, not necessarily processes, 
but how do you you know optimize the overall manufacturing system as a as an enterprise right uh, so uh, that includes supply chain that includes production planning that includes uh, you know the entire uh, you know system and then i also do a lot of research in engineer education that's a partnership i have with uh, the mark uh, you know uh, currently we are working on the third project and we have two or three other outstanding proposal pending with the nsf so that's uh, engineering education side uh, pedagogical research you know research on student learning and uh, retention graduation that's another aspects i also i'm also very interested and passionate about you know uh, how do we, how do you feel how do we improve student learning how can we educate them better so whether or not they're retaining these skills and also how they're utilizing these yeah. skills as they go into no, the workforce right no retaining you know retention meaning that uh, you know not necessarily retaining the skill uh, sorry skills but what it means like on time graduation right so what happens let's say uh, you know um, texas anm we have about uh, currently, I think 20,000 plus uh, engineering students, right? Uh, 15,000 or so undergraduate and five to 6,000 about graduate students. So, so each year we admit uh, close to 3,200 uh, freshmen uh, in, Texas, uh, in Texas A&M, right? Of those 3,200, how many would continue in engineering in, in their second year? And how many would graduate in four year? How many would graduate in six year? Right. So there are you know several retention metric like first year retention, four year graduation, six year graduation. So so that's something within we track, right? So we may we may admit, but they may not continue with us for after some time. So that's a concern, right? So um, so we every school is trying to improve the graduation retention, uh, you know, the goal. Right, and it's finding out why students yeah. don't finish, right? Either because maybe some they didn't understand a certain class or they didn't yeah. like something or whatever yeah. it may be, whatever the reason yeah. is for not continuing yeah. or finishing. Yeah. And has that information been helpful, like in terms of the evaluation component and how you use it? How do you use it to make decisions or how impactful has it been to measuring those metrics and understanding that? Oh, absolutely right. Because, you know, this evaluation, especially from, you know, external professional makes a lot of difference, right? So you could ask the difficult question, something we may not ask ourselves, right? So you could, so you could say things like, okay, you planned this thing, what happened, you know, was it implemented or was it not implemented? What was the impact, right? Those sort of things are important, uh, especially because we value continuous improvement. Um, in, in fact, every engineering program in the US or engineering technology program in the US, they all are ABET certified, right? So ABET focuses more on the, how we collect the data, how we use the data to continuously improve. Uh, speaking of, you know, evaluation, you know, all the projects that, you know, I have done, I have always had external evaluator and their input is, is very valuable. It, it, it does help because it is very objective and very specific to what we plan and what we were able to achieve. And is that also being carried into, like, like you mentioned, even in terms of like students carrying that into the workforce because companies are also looking at continuous improvement and ways right. that they can add more value or do things too. So it's almost like a 
continuum of that in terms of the feedback loop that you're getting. Right. You know, so, you know, uh, you brought up good points, right? So, for example, uh, uh, you know, going back to EBIT, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with. Uh, so the, there, there are things that we measure upon graduation, and there are things we measure after three, four years. Basically, we survey our alumni, and, and we ask them, has the degree been helpful to them in terms of what they're trying to achieve and what they're doing? So that gives an, uh, uh, you know, that gives us a data set that tells, okay, so whatever they were able to learn while they were in the program has uh, helped them or uh, did not help them in achieving their goals. So, for example, we have some objectives, uh, we call it program education objectives, and they will be able to do lifelong learning, and they will be able to take you know, uh, leadership positions, and they will be able to sustain productivity, all those things. So we do survey to assess those. Yes, uh, you know, there is a, always that continuum of uh, uh, you know, our data collection and closing the loop to improve those, yes. Which I think is huge because I appreciate you using Abbott as an example, right? Because yeah, oftentimes yeah. I have conversations with a lot of industry or different companies or businesses across different industries. And the one thing they're always interested in looking at and better understanding is how to close the gap between higher education and what students are learning versus hiring them out of school and having to retool them or yeah. reinvest in their education in a different way to ensure that they're able to practically right address customers and um that takes a lot of effort and resources for a lot of companies to invest in so to be able to identify those gaps early on be able to help those students make that leap sooner quicker faster right that Mm -hmm. only adds value for the company that employs them because they're not having to reinvest or retool them to ensure that they're able to be successful now in the company environment. No, absolutely. In fact, that is our unique strength uh, in terms of ID program. Here, we have a very strong ties with our industry partners. And if you look at our industry advisory board, they're all president and CEOs of the companies, uh, you know, and, uh, and they have supported program in many different ways. So, all of our students, you know, unless somebody decide not to, they would typically have, uh, you know, uh, one or two internship at the minimum by the time they graduate. Uh, you know, some students decide to just say, you know, do a summer class or they may travel. You know, that's different, right? But if they if they want to do internship, which we encourage them to, and everybody gets that because you know we have a major specific career fair. For example, there is one career fair coming up this Thursday. Uh, you know, there will be about 100 companies coming just for industrial distribution graduates. Wow. So uh, we have, let's say, maybe uh, 400 to 500 students. We have 1,000 students in the program right now. Uh, so we, you know, at Texas a everybody has a common engineering. So from sophomore to senior level. So we have 1,000. So in any year, you can think of maybe uh, close to 250 to 300 students, right? So of those, maybe 500 to 600, maybe looking for full-time job or internship. For that many students, we have over 100 companies. We, we have to say we can't handle more than that, right? So we sort of cap. So let's say 100 companies come to 
interview them just to interview them. And we have that every semester, like fall and spring. So there's just so much industry interest and industry you know, uh, connection that, uh, and then we also invite them to uh, uh, guest uh, lecture classes. So they get so much trained. So the, the point you were making earlier, right? So retooling is really not necessary. It's mm -hmm. When our students graduate, they are ready for day one and, you know, on, on their job. So that's the unique uh, advantage we have, uh, you know, um, in ID. That's not what I, what I, I did. I would not consider my contribution, you know, the, the people before me who had uh, done great job in establishing that connection. So we're just continuing that legacy, uh, you know, um, here. So I have a question. How has, have you seen an evolution of more female engineers? Because I know like there's definitely a more yeah. a stronger focus to encourage yeah. women to understand STEM education. An example is my daughter is five years old and she's in Girl mm -hmm. Scouts and they've started STEM education to kind of inspire um, the next generation to be, I guess, more comfortable with yeah. technical topics. Um, and that will be like an evolution of, I think, culture, but have you seen like an increase in number of females and what would you suggest for like the next generation, which are, they're now referred to as alphas, as I understand it, because right, their parents right. are trying to prepare them sooner uh, rather than later case in point this mother, but in any case, like how would you make that shift even more readily for females to get involved in STEM education and to pursue careers in areas that you're describing? I mean, six, Wait, six to seven trillion dollar economy. Like if I start my kid now, I don't have to worry about her having a job in 30 years. Oh, absolutely not. You know, you know, uh, you, you brought up good points. I, you know, I don't know if there's any magic answer for that. You know, everybody's trying to improve, you know, this uh, diversity number of female and, you know, other diversity, right? Underrepresented minority and all that. That has been... Uh, you know, uh, I think uh, it's ongoing uh, problem, so to speak, uh, you know, and, and then uh, we're, we're all trying to work hard to improve that. You know, fortunately, uh, if you look at the number, just the average, uh, we are somewhat more fortunate than other engineering major here at Texas A&M. We have, uh, you know, number of fluctuates from 22 to 30 percent female since we have. But again, that number, you know, that's uh, pretty strong. I mean, that's on it's par very with strong, right? That's and on then, par um, with most business schools now. Business yeah. schools used to start at a roughly, you know, ten percent. Mm -hmm. And I heard more recently, I think in the last couple months or last year, it's maybe twenty-five percent or thirty yeah. percent of just encouraging more females to pursue uh careers that they otherwise wouldn't have in the past. Right. So uh, Texas A&M does a lot of, you know, outreach activities. And we have a society for women engineers. We also have society for women in industrial distribution. We invite uh, industry leaders like yourself and, and uh, would come and talk to our students, encourage them and, you know, you know, share their life story. And then you know, uh, you know, talk, you know, talk about all the possibilities, our limitless possibilities everybody has, right? So we try to encourage uh, that, and that's not just a department level. We also do at the college level, uh, and uh, and we have a some dedicated office and staff. They reach out to high schools and they go out to high school, uh, high school, and talk to them. 
and they invite for summer, uh, you know, a program, summer enrichment program, and, and for girls and for other, you know, so yeah, we do, but I think uh, just like every other school, and uh, we are not nearly in a, or near where we want to be, right? You know, ideally would like to be 50, 50%, right? But I think there's a also, I mean, I think there's a cultural shift that has to go on yeah. too, right? Because yeah. I think, um, you know, if I, if you were someone to ask me why I didn't pursue an engineering degree, it wasn't something that I found easy, like numbers and stuff. I did decently well in math and science, but it wasn't something that clicked as easily. For instance, for my sister, there's two yeah. of us girls, she's an engineer and she gets it like really quickly. That's not how my brain works but we're two females. Right. So I think there's, you know, individuals should gravitate towards yeah. what they love and what they're yeah. most comfortable with. But obviously I think what you've emphasized is the greater the exposure yeah. for individuals through outreach to either find a mentor or see somebody yeah. like themselves and explore. It's all about, I think, exploring, then yeah. you'll, you'll understand what, what that individual likes or dislikes. And that's what hopefully is the path they follow professionally. Right. And that's exactly right. You know, in fact, uh, it's what kind of, you know, coming back to circle here, the, all the project that I, I had with the NSF, uh, you know, also involved high school, either teacher or students or something like that. So what those projects are trying to do, do is expose, uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, the engineering at the high school level so that they can start developing those interests, right? You know, there is a perception. I have two girls myself, right? And, you know, in <laughs> fact, you know, one is in college, one is in high school now. I could not convince her to, you know, do engineering. She's great in math, but it's just a perception that, you know, you know, the, the difficult math and physics, and, and even though she taken all AP courses and did great, and she you know, didn't, you know, do engineering, right? So my wife is engineer, I'm engineer, but maybe, you know, we were too many engineers. <laughs> There's in, too many in engineers. House, right? <laughs> and my brother is engineer, like engineer, right? So it's all engineer family and the doctor are engineers, right? So those, those two, yeah, didn't work out. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's something we, we all have to continuously work as a, as a nation, I guess, so, uh, and try to increase the awareness. Uh, so that's that's what uh, I feel like, you know, we could, we, if you could increase the awareness at the very, when they are, you know, their mind is being formed, right, at the formative age. And um, so every discipline is good. You know, we can't say that this is good versus that, right? But, you know, the... I guess uh, perhaps, uh, you know, depending on problem, engineers are better equipped in terms of solving certain types of problem, right? So, uh, and now we, we see that, uh, you know, merger of engineering and medical, right? I mean, many schools started including Texas A&M, you know, engineering medicine. So we're trying to use engineering principles in targeted uh, medical therapies, right? So for a certain treatment you use, how you, do laser focus cutting of some metal, metal, and then maybe wow. do, you know, the, you know, therapy, cancer therapy, right? That's very similar idea. Okay. So I want to cut this piece at the center here. Okay. I want to, you know, attack this tumor only, not other tissues, right? So that's, so you know, people are, you know, using those principles, I guess, eventually, you know, everything will merge, but, you know, I don't know when will that happen, but it will happen. 
Well, I think it's like what you're noting is it's as a human being, we're very complex, right? Like we appreciate the arts and the creative um, capacity at the same time, very technical, right? So I think it's a balance of all of those things. And I was going to joke with you, like in my family, there was two daughters. So myself and my sister, my dad and my sister are engineers. My mom and myself were not. So it's kind (laughs) of like we split the family 50-50 in terms of like what we were interested in. So I think that just happens by by chance. But another thing that I appreciate is it's exposure and it's reaching them at a younger age. So um, that I think makes a difference too. But I really enjoyed talking to you, Dr. Nepal. I really appreciate your time and just sharing with us um, to learn more about what is industrial distribution and how does it relate to our everyday life? And then how do we relate it to the economy and to jobs and how everything that you're working on is definitely tied to our everyday life in terms of industry and workforce. And Mm -hmm. so just really appreciate your time sharing with us. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. I really enjoyed talking to you and, you know, it was great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Driving Outcomes. If you'd like to listen to or download other episodes of Driving Outcomes, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast networks. Please also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as the Mark USA. We hope you'll join us again next week for more conversations with today's leaders who are driving for results and achieving phenomenal business outcomes. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven-module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.